This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 31. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's topic, clearing out the testimonial cobwebs at the start of your depositions. So this episode is a reminder about the importance of making sure at the outset of your depositions that your deponent has no testimonial impediments and can claim none later. This includes memory problems, cognitive issues, drowsiness, medication or other drug-related impairments, connection or technical issues during a remote deposition, language barriers, or agreements the witness may have made not to speak about certain issues unknown to you, possibly because of the execution of a confidentiality or severance agreement. Last week, I was taking the deposition of a high-level government official who, throughout the deposition, was playing word games with me and being highly evasive. She told me at the beginning of the deposition that she had never previously given sworn testimony, so it was clear to me as the deposition unfolded that she had no concept whatsoever what she was doing during her testimony and about how her answers would actually play out in front of a judge and jury. At the end of the deposition, I asked her some standard wrap-up questions. Did she understand the questions that I asked at the time that she answered the questions? Did she testify fully and truthfully based on her own personal knowledge? And were there any answers that she now wanted to change before we wrap up? And so on. In response to the first question, she said, no, she didn't actually understand many of my questions, and could I please repeat them? I was dumbfounded, but I knew why she was doing that. She had testified falsely over and over that she did not know about certain events that all other witnesses had testified uniformly that she was well aware of. I suspected that by the end of the deposition, the witness had began to better appreciate the seriousness of the moment of giving utterly false testimony and perhaps had decided to try on her own to unwind the damage. But I had no intention in this deposition of allowing this witness a way out when she had wasted my time as she did and had done severe damage to my opponent's case. The answers that she gave were so clearly untrue that it's going to give me phenomenal impeachment material at trial. Now, there are some situations where I might repeat a few key questions, depending on the circumstances, depending on the witness, and why I think the witness was claiming they didn't understand the questions, but not here, not in this deposition. And pertinent to this podcast episode, I had asked her, as I do every witness at the beginning, to agree that she would let me know if I asked her a question that she didn't understand rather than answer it so that I could rephrase it. That way, when she gave substantive answers, we would know that was her way of letting us know she understood the question. And if she didn't, she'd tell us to rephrase it. And she agreed to do so. So at the end of the deposition, when she falsely claimed that she did not understand many of the critical questions, I reminded her that she had agreed to let me know if she didn't understand the question and that if there were any answers she had given under oath that she knew were untrue, now was the time to fix them. She immediately asked me again if I would repeat all of the questions that I had asked her, a preposterous request in every way under any circumstances, and I again declined, once again reminding her that she was under oath and that if there were answers that she knew were untrue, she needed to correct them immediately. Well, she didn't do so, and the deposition ended. Here's the point. It's critical that you box your opponents in at the start of each deposition in order to ensure that they don't have a credible claim later that they didn't understand your questions, any of them. 
This deposition reminded me of an incident many years ago involving a colleague of mine who did not run through the litany of questions like this at the outset and who was told by the deponent at the very end of the deposition that he was on some very powerful medications as a result of a recent surgery and that he truly did not understand many of the questions. But if you didn't ask at the outset, what are you going to do at that point? If you don't clear these issues up at the outset, it could render your deposition, at least some of the critical answers, a nullity. And that's especially true with witnesses who are testifying for the first time and who might legitimately be able to claim that they didn't understand the seriousness of the process. So you've got to lock all of the exit doors on these folks right at the beginning. Here are some other sample questions you might ask to do this, and you may know of others. Ms. Gordon, do you understand that this is real sworn testimony and not a practice run? In other words, that the testimony you are about to give is the exact same kind of sworn testimony you would give in a courtroom in front of a judge and jury. Do you understand that you are obligated to tell the truth fully and completely? Have you been diagnosed with any condition that, at least as you understand it, affects your memory? Have you been diagnosed with any condition, at least as you understand it, that affects your ability to understand the truth and to be able to tell the truth? Have you been diagnosed with any condition, as you understand it, that affects your ability to understand questions? Do you feel like you slept well enough in the last few days that you can focus and concentrate on the questions I'm going to ask you and on your answers as you would on any other occasion? Are you mentally or physically exhausted as you sit here right now? Have you eaten anything or drank anything or engaged in any behaviors that you feel would affect your ability to focus and concentrate? If it's a remote deposition, you might ask, can you hear me clearly and distinctly on your computer? Will you let me know if at any time today you do not hear the entirety of a question clearly and distinctly so that I can repeat it for you before you answer it? Is there anything going on in your life right now that is such a distraction that you feel like you cannot focus today to the point where we should reschedule your deposition? Are there any language barriers that in your belief would affect your ability to understand the questions or to answer them fully, completely, and truthfully? Have you had any medical procedures in the last week that you feel would affect your ability to understand my questions or to answer them fully and completely? Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that, in your belief as you sit here today, would make your testimony unreliable or that would affect your ability to understand my questions and to give truthful answers? Now, these are just examples, but they give you a flavor of the kinds of things you'll want to ferret out before you spend several hours grilling a witness. There may be other questions you'll want to ask as well, but it's critical that you shut the doors on these kinds of side exits that would otherwise allow witnesses to later claim they didn't understand the process or that they suffered from some kind of testimonial impairment. Now, some judges will not allow witnesses to escape their clear deposition testimony, even if you didn't ask these baseline questions. You'll see that in the body of case law where witnesses sometimes use affidavits for or against summary judgment and try to vary from their prior testimony by claiming that they didn't really understand certain questions in their depositions. Again, some judges will not tolerate that, even if you didn't clear it up at the beginning of the deposition, but you don't really want to rest your fortunes on the possibility down the road of a favorable ruling from the judge on this issue. 
So lock those doors on deponent excuses to avoid their testimony right at the outset of the deposition. Leave them no room to avoid the consequences of their answers. Now, one last point. You might be thinking, well, what do I do, though, if the witness actually answers yes to one of these questions? I do have an impairment. I am exhausted. Well, if they say that, are you stuck? Can you proceed with the deposition knowing that the witnesses just told you that they have some kind of impairment? Well, good questions, because in some situations, you can obviously open a Pandora's box by giving the witness an opportunity to say they are impaired in some way. It's just situational. Are they really impaired or are they just trying to get out of the deposition? To what extent is there an obvious impairment? You know, you can follow up on these questions to see if, in your judgment, the witness is in fact impaired, and if so, whether the impairment is something that would actually affect their testimony. Often it won't be. The witness may say that they just don't sleep well on a regular basis or didn't sleep well the night before because they were nervous. That's common but that it won't really affect their ability to testify. So as with everything, it's a balance. But if there is a serious impairment, you've got to find that out at the very beginning. And if there is, it may be time to reset the deposition. You just never want to give your deponent an easy way out after you've run them through the ringer in your examination. All right, one last thought. Is this litany of questions really necessary in every single deposition, you might be thinking? And the answer is no. There will be plenty of depositions where you have a good read on the witness and a good read on the opposing counsel and where this kind of lockdown technique probably isn't necessary. If you know the witness to be solid, if you know it to be the kind of case where it's highly unlikely that a witness will try to evade their testimony, if you know the opposing lawyer is solid and not the type of person that coaches witnesses to play games, you may not need to drill down so intensely. It is always a good idea, at minimum, however, to ask the witness to promise to let you know if they don't understand a question rather than answer it, and to agree at the outset that answering a question means the witness understood the question. How much further you go than that will depend on your assessment of the situation. All right, that's it for today's episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. And remember that we very much appreciate five-star reviews wherever you get your podcasts, because that helps us get the word out so that others can benefit. Thanks again.